Hey there, and welcome back to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast. This time, we bring back our favorite repeat guest, Dr. Ashton Villamoria, our lead clinician here at Strive to Move. Ever wanted to get inside the heads of your doctors? Well, now you can during this Grand Round style episode. To learn more about us at Strive to Move, check out our website at www.strive2move.com and on social media at strive number two move. All right, guys, enjoy the show. This is the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast aimed at helping you live an active and healthy life in and around Somerset and Union County, New Jersey. This podcast is brought to you by Strive to Move, located in Warren and Berkeley Heights. Strive to Move helps active adults in New Jersey get back to doing what they love pain-free. We are recording live and again with Dr. Ashton Billamoria. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be back. What is this? Our third, third, third podcast? Third or fourth. What's up, Hannah? You're you interrupting us. We yeah, press we're recording. recording. How can I help you? Thank you. You good? You got your chair? All right. <laughs> we're going to leave that in. Okay. So before we get started, I have a question for you. Sure. How is the garden going? Oh, man. So I've been starting off my conversations with my patients this week. Like, let me show you my cucumber. And so they see the cucumber. So for all you listeners out there, I'm really big into gardening. And my garden took a turn for the worse at the beginning of August from a bad storm. So I cleaned it out a month later, and I noticed a giant cucumber just glistening in the ground. And it's 14 and a half inches. What do you think? What happened to your cucumber? Why did it do that? Why did it get so big? Well, I'm sorry. What happened to the garden? Oh, so New Jersey, believe it or not, actually gets tropical storms. You know, being from Florida, I'm used to that every summer. So we had a tropical storm at the beginning of August, and it completely uprooted. Just back up a little bit. You're a little loud. It completely uprooted my garden plants. So you had to replant? No, I just left it, and it just started getting weeds, and I just kind of just said, like, forget about it. Right. And so I didn't take care of it as much anymore. I mean, it was a really fruitful year. I got a lot of tomatoes. I got some zucchinis. I got a very few cucumbers. I'm starting to get my hot peppers, which I'm really excited about. I kind of gave up on those. But the one I'm really upset about is my beets. Beets? Yeah, my beets did not grow in this year. I'm pretty bummed. Did you know? Do you know why? No, I have no idea how to grow beets either. I, I just kind of pulled it from the ground. And I love it when I asked you yesterday. You were like, yeah, it's not that hard to grow. You made cocky. <laughs> and then next year, you're going to shit the bed with your vegetable garden, and you're going to be real pissed because you get I, cocky about it. I always like tell like. I didn't do much work to it. You know, you just plant it in the ground, you water it, you kind of take care of it, and you let the stuff grow. But, I don't know, it's a lot more work than I thought. More work? Like, it depends. It depends on how much you want to get out of it. Like, take care of it. I kind of get lazy. Like, I'm really excited at the beginning of it, and I take care of it, and then I let everything grow, and then towards the end, around now, I kind of just forget about it. Yeah, well, now you get to see the vegetables of your labor. That's right. Get it. (laughs) The fruits of your labor. (laughs) All right, so let's get going. We do a grand rounds every, hopefully about every few months here. And we have a couple of nice cases to talk through. So the first one is, we'll call it patient KP, right? Sure, patient we'll say a. patient A, KP. Tell me about her and then and what I think the audience will get out of this. I know we have a, some colleagues that are listeners who have, who have personally texted and emailed saying that this is helpful for them to like talk through some clinical situations. Though I feel like for our patients or our you know, general population that might watch this as well, one of the things I'd like them to get out of this is hopefully to give them some more insight and knowledge behind you know some of the common injuries and misconceptions that we often see 
and I'll talk you through a scenario of my patient who had a similar issue who was basically scared by the initial assessment and the doctor. And, and, you know, I want to talk through that after you tell me about this patient. Sure. Yeah. So patient A, KP, came to us about the second week of July um, with a hip injury. She had already been to an orthopedic who diagnosed her with a labral tear. Um, and it was a nice, refreshing change because I remember she told me he wanted to try conservative care first. He's like, I don't want to put you into surgery, which, you know, for us is music to our ears, just hearing that first opportunity to try conservative care. So she came to us with a diagnosis of a labral tear and hip bursitis. So knowing that we put her through our functional exam, we found out like, you know, her hips aren't stable, her core is not working where it needs to be. And for what she wants to accomplish with her goals, she knows she's asking a lot of her body. She, what, what's her goals? Yeah. So big thing. She's a former soccer player. She wants to be able to just run with her kids and coach soccer. She wants to be able to go for a jog with her dog. But more importantly, she wants to get back to weightlifting and in the gym. And all of that was taken away from her for the last six months before she started to come to see us. So six months, she couldn't do what she needed to do. Um, and since... So we're about six we're about six weeks into her treatment plan. Uh, so you're six weeks into the treatment plan. And how is she doing now? She's doing great. So she, for the listeners out there, one of the things with a labral tear, a common thing that we see is like a deep groin achy pain. So that's no longer in existence. She still gets pain on the outer part of the hip, which is most likely due to the bursitis, which for you listeners out there, it just means inflammation in the body that will cause her some pain. But she's back to lifting. We're back to deadlifting from a trap bar, almost her body weight, which is good. We're transitioning into a running program for her now. Good. So I just like, want to stop you because that point that you just made that, again, one of the, I tell you all the time in the meeting, the curse that you have is that you know too much. Yeah. And then um, the point here that's so important is from a diagnosis standpoint and for a, a person out there, you know, the, a general population person the point that you made about understanding if someone has a labrum tear, groin pain versus outer hip pain. And the reason why I want to talk about that for our listeners is because I had a patient, a very, he was a golf professional. And I'll never forget, he, he we had become, you know, he was actually um, a, a friend before this. He texted me one day and saying, what do you know about labrum surgery on the hip? And I'm like, all right, like, tell me what's going on. Long story short, he's been having hip pain on and off for a few months, even maybe a year. He goes to an orthopedist or orthopedic surgeon, and the guy takes an MRI and immediately says to him that it looks like you're going to need hip surgery. So, you know, a guy who's a golf pro needs his body. He's got to walk. He's yeah. got to swing. He's got to do all of that. And he, you know, who the hell knows how scary that is. And not to mention, and he didn't know this, but hip surgery generally for a lot of reasons which we can talk about is is it's hit or miss it's not great for, right. for a few reasons though he was freaked out understandably that he might have to go through surgery so i asked him like tell me what's going on tell me where your hip pain is and to your point before what he said was that he wasn't having groin pain he was having outer hip so basically for the listeners at home basically the spot between where your back pocket and side pocket are is the hip bone, mm -hmm. which is where his pain was, which is where our patient that you're Correct. talking about had the pain as well. Now, what's important here is that that pain pattern generally is not labrum specific. It is for bursitis, Correct. which you were talking about before. Now, here's the thing. 
the difference it doesn't that's not it doesn't mean to say that either patient does not have a labrum tear mm -hmm. they both have labrum tears but what's most important is not that it's what is actually causing their symptoms Correct. Right? There's Correct. a difference between having a labrum tear and what's causing the symptoms. So going back to, uh, you know, the, my example, my patient, he um, lost my train of thought. So he was referred to a hip specialist in the same practice. He goes to the hip specialist. The guy looks at it and says, yeah, you do have a hip labrum tear, though. I don't think you're having pain because of that. Mm -hmm. You also have hip bursitis. So your pain is because of the hip bursitis. Likely you have a labrum tear in the other hip as well, just because of the nature of your sport and activity, golf. Sure. So I don't think that's causing you an issue. Massively important for people to understand that. It's not to say that every single time this is the case, but in many situations, people hear labrum tear and immediately think surgery. And not number one, not always the case. Number two, usually not the first step. Number three, most importantly, even if we thought they would have to have hip surgery, we would want them to control the inflammation and control the bursitis before, which is usually due to a muscular imbalance or a, a muscle right. tightness issue. I wanted to just make sure that we hit home on that point for the listeners out there who may have you know, heard scary words like bursitis and surgery and, and different things just so that they have a little bit more knowledge rather than going in, which we're going to talk about another patient who <laughs> this will become very relevant It'll be for. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but to your point, it's like even if she does have to have a surgery, there's no harm in her doing what she's doing now because she's going to be better on it on the other end. Yeah. The thing – so we draw this for patients they really seem to understand is the pain dysfunction yeah, map, right? It makes a lot of sense for our patients. So – if you guys, if you guys out there can picture, we we on our whiteboard, we'll, we'll, we will literally write the word pain, and we'll draw an arrow to dysfunction, and then we'll draw an arrow from dysfunction back to pain, and essentially that creates a cycle. So when you have pain in your body, it creates muscle dysfunction, whether that's weakness, whether that's tightness, whether that's um, you know any of the things of that nature, scar tissue. Some people use, you know, for us, I don't really care what you call it. It's a dysfunctional movement sure. pattern, and be, when you have dysfunction, it usually causes more pain, and then because you're in more pain, you have more dysfunction. And essentially, what our job becomes is to try and break that cycle. Now, it's funny, I was talking to another patient yesterday who's in mental health counseling, and I told her about this, and she's like, oh, that's funny, that's what we do in mental health counseling. It's oh, that's like really one thing, you know, you start with one thing and it perpetuates, sure. and then it perpetuates further, and you go back to having more of the same thing, and it's just this cycle that we're breaking. And so our job becomes, essentially, if you think about what rehab is, it's usually just trying to break that pain dysfunction yep. cycle. So think about it, right? Your right hip hurts. So naturally, your body is going to not want to use it as much. So you're not going to maybe step as hard on that foot when you squat. Maybe you don't put as much pressure on it. Mm -hmm. So that creates dysfunction. Those muscles become atrophied or weak or tight. And then because of that, you go, you go into more pain. What you're doing with our first patient as you're talking about it is trying to find positions and movements that she can tolerate that are going to loosen up the muscle, strengthen the muscle Correct. so that we can A, try to eliminate the pain, B, try to create a more function, I use air quotes, a more functional body and see where she, where it ends up. And I think that in your, and, and as you're talking about, the main thing which you know I, I've shared with you often is when we talk to our patients, 
um, with a straight face and we believe it more than anything that even if you came to us and said like I'm having surgery in three months or you said I want to avoid surgery or you said I'm not sure what I want to do we still believe that working with someone like us or us specifically is the best thing that you can do even if you knew let's say you had to go into surgery well the better you go into surgery the better you're going to come out and it's funny you mentioned that because that was her words exactly like i remember on her intake form and we talked about this and i talked about it with her she was just shocked that insurance would cover surgery but wouldn't cover conservative care yeah and she just has no idea how that happens in healthcare. yeah and if you think about her she's really our ideal patient mom two kids teacher very active Um, wants to stay active and avoid surgery at all costs and if she's in surgery you know she's down for the count she can't take care of her two kids teaching nowadays is online she can't do that so it's going to be really hard for her but she's making the progress through our treatment plan and she's making really good progress right now yeah which is good and and you know just to go into the specifics with the hip uh, when we see a hip injury a lot of times you know we are super diligent about making sure we explore every possible option Mm -hmm. The problem that some people have with hip pain and hip surgery is that there's so many different factors. You know, one of them, if you go in there and in theory, if you have a torn labrum and that's the main problem and you fix it, you should be fine. The issue becomes there's so many different avenues of what contributes to hip factors, right? Yeah. And so one of them, just to, you know, for the audience out there, the hip at the most basic level is a ball and a socket, mm-hmm. right? We all know what a ball and a socket looks like. It's a ball and socket joint. There are people that genetically have sockets that are too narrow mm-hmm. or they have balls that are too big. The ball doesn't fit into the socket. Don't laugh, Ashley. Come on, let's be a little bit more mature <laughs> sorry, here. Sorry, okay, yeah, keep exactly. going. You're a doctor. <laughs> so, and, or the other, you know, there's different issues with the ball doesn't fit correctly in the socket, the socket doesn't fit around the ball. All of those are real things that people have. The problem is that if you have that pro- that genetic issue and you go in and fix the labrum, you never fix the, you know, the problem in the first place. And sure. So now it's like we're talking about shaving down bone or making the hole wider, all these different things that quite frankly complicate the issue. You're just making it worse now. Yeah. And so there are... And that's not, you know, um, you know, we are not anti, I had back surgery, so I'm not anti-surgery. Uh, we, we believe that there are people that certainly need it. I have sure. a patient yeah. right now who I'm, when he comes back from vacation, I'm going to have to have that conversation with. I think he's, he's probably needs a hip replacement. Mm-hmm. And at this point, there's not a whole heck of a lot other than getting him ready that we can do. So I'm not anti-surgery. What I think is most important though is that people understand what they are are going to be getting themselves into because a lot of people don't like i talked to a guy a couple weeks ago and he's like oh yeah they uh you know the doctors made it seem like it's a laser spine surgery it's not so bad i'm like listen man like i i hope and like if you do it you're going to be fine but i also don't want you to think it's just like a minor procedure yeah i know who this patient you're talking about and i know his like mindset and how his personality and he is far from a surgical candidate. But when you go get all these people in your ear, they're telling you what you need, he, you're gonna, he's going to make his own decision because he is pretty hard. He's a hard-headed guy. <laughs> so, yeah, you just try to, to guide and, and, and put someone in, in the best position you can and educate them on, on what needs to happen. So um, anything else with this patient that you that is important here? Uh, I'm just excited to take the next steps with her after her plan of care is done. You know, we've talked next steps for her, and that's, you know, keeping her – 
under our care and essentially like just pushing her from into a more of a performance and a running program because ideally she's getting to that point where now she we can finally start getting her back into running which is what she wants yeah the other point here that's massively important and i think it's one of the things that we do significantly different than the traditional uh, healthcare provider, chiropractor, physical therapist, medical doctor, is that we have the ability to help people through the next yep. step. And that becomes such an issue for people that it's, it's not even talked about because people don't even know. Now, we're fortunate to work with a lot of gyms, very, very high-level gyms, that we can trust that if someone is affiliated with that gym, that you know, essentially they can do what we would call a return to play, where we Correct. modify and monitor their activity. However, we make no, uh, you know, no illusion that when we finish someone after three, four months of rehab who's coming off, you know, a pretty serious injury of six months of pain, that they're gonna stop they're gonna stop doing treatment here. And unless they have a very good plan for the next step, they're they're most likely going to be in trouble, right? It, you can't just finish and get where you need to be and then just go train for a marathon. You know, one of the things that people don't, you know, think about is that it probably takes more work once you're feeling good to stay there yep. than it does to actually feel good. Because the part of it that people don't consider is not getting out of pain, it's the different aspects of what got them in pain in the first Correct. place. And so the point to this, you know, now we start to bring in other factors. It doesn't matter, you could be the best clinician, rehab specialist in the world. For, let's, uh, for the audience's sake, let's talk about a baseball pitcher. Sure. You could do an unbelievable job um, at getting someone out of pain, getting them functional, strong, and all those things. They could have an amazing pitching coach and have amazing mechanics. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff could be taken care of. If they go out and throw 200 pitches a day, their arm is going to hurt again. The point is that it doesn't matter, you know, if we don't start to address all of the different components of somebody's injury, we're eventually going to have an issue. So in a case like this patient, you're doing your job, getting her where she needs to be. If she goes out and just starts running X amount of miles a day and we don't factor in like how she's getting back into running, if we don't factor in her running mechanics, all of those, her footwear, all these different factors we're going to struggle and so that i think for us becomes super important almost like making sure that people can really uh you know really really reach their goals and i think uh, i think that one of the you know in our profession as chiropractors what it's like three times a week for the rest of my life I hear that a lot yeah you know and which is something we have to constantly battle and we always tell people don't come to see us if you're not if we're not progressing towards a goal like you're not yeah. coming here for no reason in this specific case if you lay it out like listen you know you're going to get to this point and then now if you just want to go and be a mom and do whatever like you're good if your goal is to run x amount or play soccer with your kids or do that we have to make sure that there's a plan surrounding that. The last thing we want to do is you finish up and then we call you in a year. You're like, yeah, I'm having hip surgery. And it's Which like, I never well, want what, that. Yeah. What did we do between the time that you finished your rehab and that point? Well, it's interesting because I have, I have not had this before. She even asked me on her evaluation, you know, what's the next steps after a plan of care? So in her head, she's already trying to think, you know, what more can I do after the allotted sessions that I do here? Yeah. 
So yeah. from that sense, her mindset, she's just trying to push herself to give her the best shot. It's funny. We had a patient who we both, we co-treat and we, he was on his last session and he said something like, oh, well, I can't come anymore. I'm like, well, why? He's like, well, you said my sessions were done. And I was like, well, hold on a second. First of all, we the reason why we put a, a, a timestamp on sessions is for everyone to make sure that we're helping them. That we're helping them and that everyone's on the same page. Mm-hmm. Like we don't want it to be we're treating you once or twice a week perpetually until the end of time. After X amount of time, we'd like to see this result because from our perspective, from a medical perspective, we have to make sure that we're getting you the results that you're mm-hmm. looking for. And so when we say, all right, after this amount of weeks, we expect to see this. After X amount of weeks, we expect to see this. We want to make sure that we are being uh, reliable and responsible to get that result. Part of it is, you know, people, we always say with a patient, it's not always that we have to get the result. It's that we have to get an answer. And there's a difference, mm-hmm. right? Correct. And so if we, you know, someone's got seven out of 10 back pain and after two months of care, they have seven out of 10 back pain, we've got to do something different. Maybe that's an MRI. Maybe that's refer them to a pain management doctor. Maybe it's to us change our treatment plan. Medically, legally, if we are not getting a result with somebody, we have to make sure we're taking the whatever appropriate steps are. And I think for us to make sure we're communicating that with patients and making sure that they understand, like we are, you know, you're here to get an outcome and we're here to provide that for you. And we have to make sure that we're all on the same page, that if we're not getting there, something has to change. Correct. No, I fully agree with that. Uh, okay, so let's go on to our second patient um, who is the... So the first patient was a hip problem labrum. The second one, I believe, is going to be a shoulder labrum, supposedly. Supposedly. Yeah, yeah so we'll get into that. that. Yeah, so this patient came to me about two weeks ago. He was a referral um, from a guy that you went to school with, correct? Yep, Dr. Shum in New York City. So thank you for the referral. So he came to us with um, you know left shoulder pain. It been ongoing for the last four years. What's interesting was those two years ago, he had arthroscopic surgery to fix a torn labrum, and then the doctors realized he didn't have a torn labrum. So talked about that. So he, so he, did he have an MRI? Yeah. So he had an MRI. When they, they thought that they the thought lab- he had a labrum tear in okay. his shoulder. So they went in to do surgery. Yep. They opened them up, <laughs> and when they opened them up. They're like, they didn't, he was like, they said my labrum was not torn. And so they just said they shaved some bone and closed me back up. And yeah, that's it. And that was it. So they had to do something, right? Well, so they went in, they found there wasn't an actual problem they were looking for. So they did something. So here's another one. Again, a good lesson for our audience, whether medical provider or not, in that, first of all, and I've experienced this as well, reading the MRI is a skill. Yeah, that's and so yes. and then you and I we learned it in school, but I at this point, if you don't do that every single day, you lose it. You lose it. And so you know, I'll I'll look at someone and consult with someone on their MRI report and I'll read the report, but don't come to me for the as well, yeah. the first as the first line of defense. <laughs> like I, and I'll tell you straight up, that's not what I do. Yeah. Like, it's not my specialty. The other part too is again. Human error is a real thing. So who knows what happened? Did yeah. it, you know, p- people don't realize when you take an MRI, there's different slices, there's different cuts, there's different shadows, there's interpretation. And I've had, you know, two or three opinions on an MRI, uh, on an MRI before and gotten a couple different interpretations of the same thing. So people think that they get an MRI report. And honestly, I've been guilty of this too. And just kind of accept that that's what's going on. What it says. Yeah. We had, I have a patient I still work with who she got an MRI on her hip. 
Um, and the MRI report came back no problem at all, 100% fine. Then she was still not getting better and she still had the groin pain we were talking about. Finally, I'm like, maybe we should get you another opinion. She went to another hip surgeon who mm-hmm. pulled the MRI up. He's like, oh, no, it's torn right there. And so I don't know what happened with this patient. Like back then, if they didn't see it, if they saw it. But obviously, the MRI report and the what actually was going on inside the patient's arm were completely different. Yeah, and so... Um, right now, his condition, it really just prevents him from pushing himself in the gym, performing some weightlifting movement, so pressing or anything overhead, he just he can't do right now. It causes him, doesn't cause him pain during it, but four to five days later, he really feels excruciating pain, so he just stays away from those movements. So his goal is interesting because he's a former personal trainer, but he just built this nice home gym like everyone else did during COVID, and he wants to be able to use it. So his goal is really to be consistently active in his gym, but also he likes to play golf and basketball. Huge Knicks fan, which he's told me some fun stories, but he's pretty bad right now because the Knicks suck. They're never going to be good. They're never going to be good. Until they get a new owner. Yeah, that's what he said. So until Dolan sells a team, they won't be good. But here's a guy who's... I guess we're not going to be getting sponsored by the Knicks anytime (laughs) soon after that. (laughs) I think that's all right. I'd rather be by the Nets anyways. Um, The original New Jersey team, right? Used to be New Jersey Nets. Now it's the Brooklyn Nets. They play in. Did they play in Newark? They used to play where the uh, like Giants. They played at Brendan Byrne Arena, Continental Airlines Arena, where the Devils played, which was in East Rutherford, in the same complex as the Jets ah. and Giants. And then they moved. No, I think they moved to Newark. Did they move with the Devils for a year and then they went to Brooklyn? No, they went to Brooklyn, right? Uh, but now the Devils are in Newark in their own facility, and now the obviously the Nets are Nets in Brooklyn. Are Brooklyn. Uh, but anyways. That's his goal, and he wants to be able to play basketball and golf regularly. And right now, he just can't do it because he's either afraid that his shoulder is going to get make make it worse, or he's going to feel pain. So it's a double edged sword for him, and it's really bumming him out because he's thirty eight, he's young, he should be able to do all three of those activities without feeling it in his shoulder. What do you do? You have like um, a diagnosis of like a specific like oh this is definitely this, or it's more of a functional diagnosis. At this point, I for me, I'm just gonna focus on the functional diagnosis for him. Like, every time he brings his arm overhead, his rib cage flares, so an energy leak in his core. He does lack a little bit of internal rotation from side to side, so that's a noticeable difference. Um, so the- I wanna go over that too, because a lot of times, at, as we found out, in, in an orthopedist office, they're focused very much on the MRI report and on the orthopedic diagnosis, sure. which, you know, we do as well. So, you know, there's orthopedic tests that we learn in school that depending on what you read and who you ask, have a certain level of reliability and, you know, um, things of that nature. And so, you know, I just want to break that down a, a function. We, in our, in our office, we look at two separate things. We look at the kind of the medical orthopedic diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Usually, you know, that's what you would get at the orthopedic surgeon. You know, what Correct. tests he would do, hey, you have a this, right? The next part of, for us, what we do is the next step, which is a functional diagnosis. So again, I wanna make sure that people understand we do our orthopedic test and maybe they show something, maybe they don't, which is usually what happens. They're not you know, standard. We have this MRI report in this kind of weird situation. And so if we just left it at that, we would arrive with no answer because none of that really gives us anything specific. What you're speaking about you know, shoulder rotation, right? So that just like the hip, the shoulder is a ball and socket joint. 
and the shoulder should rotate externally, which is if you think about it, like if you're going to throw a ball, your arm rotates out. And then when you whip your arm forward, it rotates in. That's called shoulder internal rotation. Now, a lot of people that have um, you know shoulder pain will have an issue with their shoulder rotation, Correct. something that usually isn't found in orthopedic tests. So you're saying that there is a little bit of limitation in shoulder internal rotation. And the other thing too you're talking about is when the arms get overhead, if, and if the audience wants to try this at home, if you stood up and put your stood up with your uh, back flat against the wall, your lower back flat, your mid back, your head flat against the wall, which might be actually hard for some people, and you took your arms and tried to bring your arms up overhead to touch the wall, you should be able to do that independently of your spine coming off of the wall. If you can't do that, there's a limitation somewhere, as you called it, an energy leak. And in this situation, as you're talking about this patient, if we went to do that assessment, as soon as he gets his arms to be above overhead, his rib cage starts to flare, his back starts to arch essentially. And as you called it, that's an energy leak where there's something going on in the chain that is that could be the problem that really is causing him an issue. So that's the difference between what you would, you know, you're not going to find, there's no shot that's found on an MRI. Nope. They're not going to find a lack of internal rotation. That's a functional problem. They're not going to find a, a rib cage flare or an arms overhead because that's a functional problem. Um, that's not going to be found on MRI in most orthopedic tests. And it's interesting because he doesn't have any pain with any of his arm movements. But then when you force the rib cage to go down, and you look for essentially what we look for is biceps to cover the ear when you bring your arm overhead. When you bring the rib cage down, it only got about like cheek level. So you really now you start to put a picture. It's like, okay, well when he's trying to overhead lift, he's compensating to get his shoulder overhead. Now he's putting on pressure on his low back, which is interesting also because he does have a history of low back pain as well. Yeah, and I think from that perspective, you start looking at activity. So overhead pressing, golf, all requires arms and shoulders to get overhead. Yep. If you look at like a golfer, the most common injury is low back pain. The second most common injury is shoulder pain, usually for a right-handed golfer in the left shoulder because a lot of times they essentially impinge themselves because they have the exact problems that you're talking about. And so now, now we go back to our conversation before about the different aspects of this. Like we could be the best treatment people in the world, but if we don't have the conversation surrounding, listen, like here's the reason why your shoulder is a problem is because you don't have, you lack the range of motion to get there. So there's a couple things. Number one, we're going to try and get back as much range of motion as we can. We might get to a point where we're in, we don't have 100% motion there. And at that point, we have to have a conversation and make a decision about what the actual goal is because mm -hmm. there's, you know, if we're missing 30 degrees of arm overhead motion and we just allow someone to just shoulder press, their, their shoulder's going to hurt, right? So do we need to modify and is is a um, is a, a landmine press? Landmine press, sorry, is, better option. is that a better option, right? Is that something where we can still start to get overhead motion without going all the way overhead? Um, is dumbbell training, if there's a versus barbell training, you know, the, you know, the thing that's most important. Is there something from a golf mechanic standpoint that we can monitor or modify so that we don't kind of keep putting ourselves in a bad position? And I think that for us is where, you know, we really specialize in is, is looking at someone, okay, what are the things that you want to do? And let's be realistic about this and say, 
listen, you might not be able to tolerate pressing, max out pressing overhead with a barbell. But you, we might say, well, you can probably golf the way you want, though we're going to have to kind of give here and take here. So maybe overhead pressing isn't in the cards, but maybe if you're okay with not doing that, golf can be. Sure. It's just, But all of it might not be able to be. And I think that being honest with people and giving them a little bit of guardrails, people appreciate that to know. Like I know myself, I can squat and I can deadlift – but if I barbell squat and deadlift with a lot of weight over time, I'm in trouble. I'm mm-hmm. in a lot of trouble. So everyone's got that, right? Everyone's got that thing. And, and you know, one of the conversations that we'll have with patients is setting realistic expectations. And that, you know, if we get some people that come in and they might do like a group fitness, like a CrossFit or, or some version of it. And when they come in, the thing that they say is, I just want to be able to do everything on the board, not modified. Yep. And if that's the, you know, and if we watch them move and it's just, you know, not great, like we have to have that conversation with like, let's have a realistic conversation mm-hmm. here of if that's your goal, you know, I want you to understand like, here's the limitation and here's where we might have to modify. Now, if you want to just do everything unmodified, we'll do everything we can to help you get there. What we have to let you know, you know, what the risk involved with it is, yeah, right? Absolutely. Like, you know, someone that would someone the conversation with me, like, you know, you could probably squat and deadlift, but just understand that you might be putting your low back at a little bit more risk than if you chose to goblet squat. It's like the conversation I had with one of my patients. She's a power lifter and she does these three lifts predominantly. She doesn't do any other movements in the gym. So and that's fine. And if that's what she wants to do, then we're working towards it. We got her to her powerlifting meet. But as long as she understands the stress that she puts on her body, I'm okay with it. We have, as long as we have an honest conversation about it and we're on the same page, that's all I want. Yeah. And at the end of the day, for most people, and that's also the difference, I think, between someone doing something recreationally and doing something competitively. Correct. When things happen competitively and we're working with either a competitive CrossFit athlete or a competitive golfer or we have a, you know, a professional soccer player right now. There's a certain amount that, you know, we, we can't, oh, you know, you're not going to practice the next week because your uh, calf is a little tight. Like, it doesn't work that way. And, <laughs> and, you know, we both worked with some pretty high-level yeah, sports and athletes. And so, you know, we've got to be responsible. But the, the expectations change a little bit. And our job is to find, you know, if we're working with recreational soccer player, four-year-old dude that plays three days a week because he likes playing, and a legitimate professional soccer player... They're not the same. Absolutely not. And we've if, got to make sure. And if I'm doing the same thing for the professional and the same thing for like the 40-year-old, I'm not doing my job. Yeah. And that's, again, why it's so important to understand, uh, you know, each patient individually. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, like I was saying earlier, we just started his treatment plan. We're going into our second week this week. I'm super excited to see how he progresses. I think he's going to do really well. Yeah. I think that's um, that's an ex- that's an exciting one. And a fun one because we, a lot of times, again, someone that's more of our ideal patient that wants to be super active that I think he, yeah, he has who, when he called us on the phone, you know, he's been to what we would call like a regular PT or regular, you know, regular physical therapy before where, you know, you go in and, um, you know, they put some heat and stim on you, they give you some band work and they stick you in the corner with their assistant. Yeah. And, and you have a shoulder problem and they give you a a thing, you know, a box of exercises. And so, um, which by the way, I think is right for the right person. Correct. Yeah. Don't let, when we hear what we're saying, it's not that it's wrong for everyone, for the right person, but for what he wants to do. 
It's just not being pushed enough. Yeah. And so, you know, that's something super important for us that, that we make clear that for some people, that's that's what they need. Um, you know, some people that that's good for them. They just need to get there and kind of get some heat on them and be able to do the protocol mm-hmm. of exercises and they get results. Listen, they wouldn't, none of those big, you know, regular physical therapists would be in business if they didn't actually help work. people. Yeah. yeah. So they do help people. And again, this is what we hear from our patients. We always like to get an understanding of what they've done in the past and if it's helped them, if it hasn't helped them, just because it helps us in the treatment room if we understand what they've already been through. Yeah, exactly. All right. Great. Anything else with that? No, that was good. That was fun. All right. So I have, you have one, right? Or did you already share yours? You kind of shared yours with patient one, right? I, sh- I shared I shared mine, but I have a new segment of the show today where oh I have boy. random questions for you. Oh boy! All right, let's hit, let's do it. All right, is this your thoughts to add section? No, this okay. is my questions for Ashton <laughs> section. All right, number one, I have to come up with a creative name for this, but I don't have it yet, so bear with me. Number one, what is the one thing that you've implemented recently to improve your own health? My own health. Oh, that's a good one. We talked about this in our Friday meeting. Healthy habits. Like trying to build healthy habits is a long, exhausting process because if you're not consistent with it, 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 you just, you don't progress. So one of the things that I shared in our Friday weekly meetings is that I'm getting these weekly newsletters, three, two, one from the author, James Clear. And it's all about building healthy habits. And One thing for me personally is my mornings are crap. I wake up, I go to the bathroom, I shower, I'm out the door within 30 minutes of me waking up. It's not productive, I'm tired on my drive to work. It's just, it's not good, it's not healthy. So for me, one of the things that I've been trying to implement more is waking up maybe an hour earlier to either read, listen to a podcast, take my time in the morning, or just think about my day ahead of what's about to happen. And I think it's a, I mean, I'm not as consistent as I want to be yet, but I know I'm actively working on it. Okay. So that's, that's your building a healthy sort of morning routine, so to speak. Correct. And, and sticking with that, the exact opposite is what's your favorite dessert? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, favorite dessert. Oh man. I've been crushing cookies lately. What kind of cookies? Chocolate chip cookies. So my wife, Sherry, she's, she's a great cook, but she's not the best baker. So she's been improving her baking skills, and I give her a lot of credit. She's been trying really hard, and her last batch of cookies were on point. Soft baked or hard? They're soft baked, which is phenomenal. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes they turn out to look like a cookie cake, and we just laugh about it. We still eat it, Um, but she's come a long way with her baking. So, Sherry, if you're listening, keep working. So that's that's your favorite dessert, though? I'm simple. I'm not a big sweets person. I can eat like a chocolate. I can have like two bites of a cake. Um, like I enjoy a donut, but I'm not a big sweets guy at all. Yeah, that's boring. <laughs> um, one more food question because I know you like, so I the background food. on, on Ashton's food is that at every Friday meeting, which we mentioned at the start of the meeting, we do a gratitude, something you're grateful for, for about four months straight every week, Ashton would be grateful some, for some, for some sort of food item, which at that point I had to ban that from the grateful list because it became a little bit ridiculous. I've so, been good. It's been good. I have not good. had one food for my grateful in the last six months. That being said, what's the best thing you've eaten or cooked in the last few months? Oh, baby. Okay. So just one or kind of a couple. One. One thing, the best thing that I probably cooked. So I took this pork butt. And then I seasoned it with Trader Joe's coffee garlic seasoning. Yes, coffee garlic. I know it sounds weird, no, that's good. but it's really, really good. So what I did is I, I rubbed that bad boy down. I cut up some purple onions, and then I wrapped it in bacon. I let it marinate for 24 hours, 
and I slow cooked it in my cooker, and it came out very juicy. In the oven or in? In a crock pot. Crock pot. It was yeah, good. Yeah, it was good. I wish I would have smoked it on my charcoal grill. Um, I just didn't. Maybe next time, but it turned out really, really good. Nice. That's good. All right, final question. We know how much of a dog lover you are, and oh, obviously I am too. <laughs> if you can, if you see his face or sarcasm, it's heavy. <laughs> this is this is an intense one. See if you know the answer. Give me a name that would be a good dog and child name. Because tell me, first of all, tell me the names of your dogs. So my dogs' names are Mo and Cola, and most guess, likely you wouldn't name your. I mean, you could Mo, like, okay, but Cola probably probably not. For a not kid. Definitely not. Okay, so but they're dog names. That's sure. fine. What's a name though that would be appropriate for both? I've been uh, mess Carl. I like the name Carl for your son though. For my son. <laughs> That's and like human names for dogs. I wish if I could go back, I might give one of my dogs a new name, like a human name, like Carl. One of my friends' dogs names is George. Which is great. Uh, one of my other friends' dog's name is Ralph, which I think is awesome. I think awesome. Max is one, right? Max is a popular name for a dog. I and just a human. couldn't name my kid Max. I don't know why. Yeah, I guess so. What about a female dog? What about a like a female? Oh, that's a good one. I never thought about that one. Yeah. Just think of any Stella. Stella. Actually, one of my friends' dog's names is Stella. See, it's a good one. I'm a, See, I'm if a... you had a dog, you'd be on point with the names. Yeah, for sure, it would be absolutely. All right, so so Stella for a female. And but you see Max is a pretty good one though I will say I'm gonna keep Carl what about for now. Buster Buster <laughs> Buster will be going I tried the name Sal but my wife was not having the name Sal and we talked about it for our you know it'd be name. hilarious though if you just name your dog like Bob like it's hilarious it's like such a basic like name that would be hilarious dog human names for dogs I'm a big fan of now and I, maybe with our next dog we'll name it that. name your dog like Robert <laughs> just Roberto think, yeah. it would be pretty funny. Because it's uh, so basic that it's hilarious. I do, side note, love the name Dale. I think her dog would be a good one. <laughs> Dale, I, I know some humans named Dale, so that, that's that's not a bad one. All right, anything else before we uh, wrap up? No, those are good questions. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. You're that. welcome. It took me a lot of time to think of them <laughs> this morning. All right, so that is a wrap-up here for another Grand Rounds episode for our Strive to Move, Stay Healthy, New Jersey podcast. We will do it again soon. See ya. See ya. Thank you for tuning in to the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast brought to you by Strive to Move. If your pain or injury is preventing you from living the healthy and active lifestyle you love and deserve and want to get back to doing what you love pain-free, we offer both a free ebook and free over-the-phone consultation to help you figure out the root cause of your pain and the best next steps to help resolve it. Find our ebooks online at strivetomove.com slash ourservices. There you'll find an ebook for topics on such things as back pain, knee pain, sports injuries, and CrossFit injuries. These ebooks will provide you with free expert advice, tips, and exercises to help solve your pain from the comfort of your own home. Just visit strivetomove.com slash our services to download your ebook and have it delivered directly to your inbox. We also offer free, no obligation phone consults with a doctor on staff to New Jersey residents. Just call us at 908-547-0729 or visit us at strivetomove.com and click the Talk to the Doctor First button on the homepage to schedule a call with us. Thanks again for joining us and we will see you next time on the Stay Healthy New Jersey podcast.